In episode 53 of MobyCast, John and Chris discuss health checks for services, containers, and demons. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast, and this time you're sitting right next to me. This is a first. Yes. Good to be back, John. Yeah, I think the only thing that will change with us sitting right next to each other here in beautiful Florianopolis, Brazil, is maybe there will be a little less interrupting each other, but I expect otherwise the episode will be just like any others. So this week we're going to talk about health checks and how we use those just on our team and how, how we may want to change how we use them for keeping our, our distributed systems and services up and running. But before we get started, since this is sort of a special week, what have you been up to this week, Chris? I have been basically living on a plane, it feels like. So traveled for about 32 hours from snowy, cold Seattle, halfway across the world to beautiful, sunny Brazil. So we're here under, at our company retreat with the entire team and it's kind of amazing to see just how big this team has grown so we're there's a lot of new phases since since the last company retreat pretty interesting yeah it's really fun it is big enough that i feel like i'm not getting quality time with every single person on the team this time around and there's and everybody's starting to form their own groups and social net you know social circles and it's it's really interesting to see that growth but so fun and chris this is your second time here in brazil and I've been here six times and I just, I just love this place. It is, it is, you know, a place that I was just saying to you earlier today that it's like a place that doesn't change. You come back and back and, and you can kind of expect things to be the way they were. And there's something about that after living in fast paced America that, that I can really get behind. Absolutely. So yeah, on to health checks. Maybe we should start like we do with many episodes and you can give us a definition. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, health checks are kind of a, a cornerstone of running any kind of software in production from an operational standpoint, you know, it's the basic check of just making sure that like your code, your service is up and running, it's able to service request. And this is one of the, the first line of defenses to detect those errors when things have gone wrong. And, you know, typically these are, are used to identify when a service needs to be recreated, right? So in the past, we might have rebooted in the cloud. It's really just basically you shoot it in the head and you, and you spin a new one up. And so health checks give us that that core capability of identifying when things go wrong and, and basically just, just restart. Right. And I, you know, thinking back in my career, I think the first time that I got exposed to doing health checks was when we were configuring load balancers for clusters of, you know, Java web application servers. And I think at the time that the that the health checks that we did weren't really able to tell much about what was going on inside the application because the load balancer itself wasn't really able to tell. It wasn't able to load balance at that application level. It was only able to, to balance, you know, what is the computer and network responding, not as the application happy. But it was still it was still sending kind of pings or kind of network requests to each of the machines in the cluster all the time. And whenever it saw one wasn't available, it would just stop routing traffic that direction. And I think things have come a long way since then. I mean, health checks are way more sophisticated, but at the end of the day, it's still the same basic premise. If you see a system or a service that's unavailable, stop sending traffic to it. Right. And I think what you're describing there is basically the port level, network level health checks, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, your your service is running on port 80 or 443. So ping that port, do you get a response back? So that's a basic level check. You can now, normally a health check involves something, an endpoint per an se. Endpoint. So you're actually executing application code 
to determine, hey, is this not only is it responding on that port, but is the code actually running to, re- to respond back to it as well? So I think that's a nice way to enter into the idea of the types of health checks that you might run. So if you're going to hit an endpoint and you're expecting a response from that endpoint, you know, what, what might you do in order to see if the system that you're looking at is healthy? Yeah, maybe this is a good time to just explain, you know, the broadly two main types of health checks here. Mm-hmm. So shallow versus deep. Shallow is, is definitely the most common. This is is typically what you do, right? So you'll say we have our microservice or, or some API service, whatever it may be, exposing an endpoint. And it can be just, very, usually it's, it's very simple, right? And we'll get into this a little bit more about like how shallow versus deep health checks are different and, and why you want to take into account some of these considerations. But but again, the, the basic thing is with these shallow health checks, keep it tight. It's something that's very quick. It's exercising your actual service code. So it's an endpoint in there that it's responding back. So it's going through all the the front end, the routing to your code, executing that code and returning back a response that signifies success. A shallow health check with that. Let's just try to think in terms of examples. Would Maybe we have a, a service that, you know, it's like a blog service. So it can, you can add, you can do CRUD on posts. So you can create a post, update a post, get posts. Would a shallow health check, would that actually get a particular post or would you try to find something more shallow than that? Yeah, for a shallow check, you definitely want something more shallow than that. Um, okay. So typically your shallow health checks are something that are going to be executed quite frequently. So would it be like a head on getting a post? So just like tell me that this endpoint exists and I can send stuff to it, like head instead of get. See what I'm saying? Like what if there's only a few, like that all you can do is create, update, read, and delete posts. So, and that's a very small, tiny microservice. You want to do a shallow health check on it. So you have to, and you don't want to hit the database is I guess what I'm, I'm hearing with that shallow health check. So can you do just some lighter weight, you know, other HTTP requests like head or something like that to, to kind of keep it shallow? Yeah, I mean, in, in this particular, I mean, I would just recommend you would actually have, you would create a new endpoint for uh, your shallow health okay. check, right? So call it like, call it your slash status, uh, right? So it. you create a new endpoint slash status and basically all it does is just echoes back something like just returns a 200, right? And, so and that would, tells you that your service is alive because if, if it wasn't answering, then the whole service is dead. Exactly. Got it. And it's very lightweight. It's very quick. It's not, you're not testing anything else. You're not testing upstream dependencies. You're not taxing your, your service with any load. It's just verifying basically my process is up and running and kind of at, at a top level, everything is working. Requests are coming in, they're getting routed, code's being executed and the response is coming back. Yeah, and you can know quite a bit from that because if, if your process is thrashing, doesn't have enough memory, it's, it's got problems, then even that shallow health check will have a problem probably. Or in many cases. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I mean, shallow health checks, despite the, I mean, the, the name is, <laughs> right. this is, this is not a bad thing, right? I mean, this is actually like, usually almost always, like this is what you want to do. They're very useful and they will give you that, that indication, like something is, is, is wrong here. Like we're not able to, to satisfy request. And so if we you're, need to do something. Yeah, because if your shallow health check doesn't pass, then you definitely want to stop routing traffic immediately to that to that particular instance of your service. Yeah. yeah. In our in the words of our of our friend Chrome, it's dead, Jim. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so then there's 
the other kind of health check would, would be obvious. It's deep. So let's talk about those a little bit, when you might use them, what they are. Yeah, so deep health checks are kind of interesting, definitely much less common, and lots of pros and cons and lots of just considerations around them. But but essentially, so we talked about the shallow health check. It's very quick. It's not, it's not testing any dependencies, very lightweight. It just basically says, hey, this service is up and running and it's responding to requests. Deep health checks come into play with, well, so I have this microservice architecture. My my service is using is a is a consumer of other services, right? So maybe my service is completely unusable if some of its dependencies are not up and running, right? So a deep health check would be something that's a bit more advanced and, and exhaustive in its checking. So you're not just checking that your service is running, you're checking that your dependencies are running as well. And so your dependencies again could be other microservices that you make calls on that you really depend upon. It could be your database. So your example before of like, hey, do we hit a database with this call? I mean, that would definitely be something to consider with a with a deep health check. Okay, great. So it makes sense what they are. We talked about how it's important and good to use shallow health checks. And if our main idea is that we just want to stop routing traffic to a process that's, th- you know, that's just thrashing or dead, then shallow makes sense. But when does it make sense to use it? You know, you said maybe other services are running that you depend on, but can you, like, can we just get an example? Have we ever used a deep health check? When, when does it really make sense? When would you do it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think really where this makes sense is where if your service if it just can't function without dependencies, right? Okay. And in that case, you have, you have to have a, a, a deep health check, right? Because let's just say like you, you, so you have a database that your microservice talks to and there's just no way your service is going to run without, without being able to talk to that database. So you may very well change your health check to test that. Again, if, if this is like the, the requirements that you have, that your service just can't operate without that dependency being up, then you want to look at the deep health check. Of course, it's also a really good thing to design your system so that they can gracefully degrade. Something like a database, you're probably not going to be able to degrade too gracefully from, perhaps, but you may you may very well decide like, hey, I'm going to, rather than failing over this, I'm going to display an error message, or I'm going to switch over to a, you know, system as like a... Fail well. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Fail well, yeah. right? That may be your, your your strategy there while you have the alerting going on for the dependent service that, hey, this thing needs to be fixed. Would you... So earlier you had said um, to keep your shallow health check really lightweight and to keep it kind of out of the way of other processing that's more important, you would create your own endpoint just for that. Would you do something similar if you're... Say you're deep health check needed to just make sure a database was there, would you maybe make a status table that just has one row in it and you just go get that one row and then that's that's an easy way of making sure your database is alive and it's not you know doing anything to any other tables and it's super, super easy on the database? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a great point. So like if, if you are doing a, a deep health check and it's going and hit your database, you're making sure that the database is up and running and that you can connect to it. If you have a table with millions of records, don't go select on that table as part of your health check, right? That's not what you're testing with this. You're just testing basic connectivity. So yeah, go hit a table with a single record in it. That's, you want to, again, even though this is a deep health check, you still want to keep it light. Right on. So yeah, where do we go from here? We know what shallow health checks are, deep health checks are. Maybe we can get into some implementation styles. Yeah, maybe just something just to talk about more with just the deep health checks is just some of those considerations. So again, they're expensive. So you needed mm-hmm. to, to weigh that into account. 
you also have this this issue of startup latency. So typically, the way things work when you're when you're spinning up a new instance of a service, one of the things that um, is going on, right, is is a health check's being performed. Once that is successfully passed, then the system knows that oh, this new service, this new service that has it's spun up correctly and it can now be put into rotation effectively. Do you mind so, if I say that just a little bit of a different way? Like, I mean, that was absolutely correct, but it just felt a little complex to me when I heard it. So I, I just want to say you've got different containers if you're using ECS or different machines or if you're using EC2 or different, who knows what, if you're using another service. They're all available. You've got a cluster. You've got a lot of things running. You want each of them to be able to service your request. And when you said put it into the rotation, that's what you mean. Your load balancer that's in front of all these things is going to be able to start routing requests to that thing. So now it's in the rotation. I just had to kind of clarify that one term. Yeah, absolutely. So you, so you have that. Um, so you have startup latency to consider. A lot of systems like the ELBs or whatever cluster mechanism you're using, they're going to have a certain amount of time before they fail. So they're going to they're going to hit a health check, and they might say like after if it doesn't respond within five seconds, then this thing's not it failed the health check, right? It's not mm-hmm. going to sit there forever. There's going to be some timeout associated with it. So if you have a really if you have a deep health check that's very expensive that can't respond in that time, then you're going to have a, a big problem, right? Because you're never going to pass your health check, even though everything is is perhaps okay with your system it's never going to pass the test. So you need to keep that into account. It's kind of, it would be a good idea to kind of think of like having an initial health check that's pretty deep and expensive. And then after that, you switch over to shallow, right? Because a lot of times it's like when you start up, you want to make sure that everything is up and running. And once that's done, then you can switch over to a shallow. That's that's definitely a bit more complicated and advanced to do. But Definitely something to, to take into account. The other problem with or consideration to take into account with the deep health checks is just this concept of a domino effect. So your your deep health check is hitting multiple services. And so imagine your the health check on your initial on your main service takes some amount of time and then it hits a dependent service for a health check and maybe it's actually another microservice. It's not something like a relational database. Well, what if that microservice, its health check, goes and hits another one? So you start chaining together these requests and you have to take into account all of that time and then also what happens if, what if it's one of those in the middle that's that's failing or it's the, the tail end? So just it gets much more complicated with the deep health checks. So this is typically why Almost all the time, you're gonna just you're gonna stay with the shallow health checks, and you're gonna you're gonna rely on your your monitoring and your alarms independently with your upstream dependencies. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just trying to think about how that how that domino effect would work because when your microservice that you call calls the microservice that it depends on, if it just happens to hit the one that's down out of a, a hundred that are available, then it thinks the whole thing is down and it's going to say, oh, I've got to be down too. I'm not working either. When really it was just unlucky. And that like potential for unluckiness keeps getting multiplied as you go deeper and deeper in your list of dependencies of microservices. So yeah, seems like microservice deep health checks probably like really think hard before yeah. you before you yeah. put those in place yeah and in that particular case hopefully everything else is working so your your upstream services they should have their own health checks mm-hmm. and they're in a cluster right so ideally you shouldn't even be hitting like if there is one out of however many nodes in your cluster that's bad it should have failed its health check 
with its cluster right. and been pulled. Right. Right. So hopefully that has fi- that has happened before it even tries to go and connect to it. So it's not even in the routing for that. But it could be that it's failing and it hasn't it hasn't actually health checks run periodically. Right. They're mm-hmm. not running like it's not real time. So you have to have, you have to have some interval for these health checks to run. So you you know you are going to have failures and it's they will be up. So you still yeah. have that. Yeah. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. So, and you just talked about the interval. I, I wanted to, because you had talked about a few parameters that you need to think about when you're setting up a health check. And I think we might as well just make that concrete in terms of AWS. I think, so I'm just going to go out on a limb. I can't remember for sure, but I think that there's three parameters basically that you have to keep in mind. One is the delay before you start doing health checks. So I want to wait 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute before I even send my first health check to this system to give it time to start up. Another one is how often do I want to send health checks? It's like, I want to send health checks every second, every half a second, every 20 seconds, every five minutes. And that really depends on the type of service. There's no best practice there. It just absolutely depends on the type of service and how flaky or finicky it is. And then I think the third one is how long you want to give your health check to succeed or fail. So is it failed after 100 milliseconds because you have a super, super, you know, high, low latency requirement? Or is it failed after a second or five seconds or 30 seconds? I think those are the three parameters, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, in general, I think those are, these are the the, the categories, right? Mm-hmm. So like there's AWS in, in particular, like for ELB health checks, some of the parameters are, you know, kind of like you mentioned, like how many times does it have to pass a health check before it's determined healthy is, oh, is yeah, a parameter, right? Yeah. So you could set it to one. You know, by de- I think it defaults to two, so it's got to successfully pass two health checks before it will get put into rotation. Yeah. You also have, you know, how many health checks do you need to fail before you're considered unhealthy? Mm-hmm. You have your health check interval, so how often are you running these health checks? That one I got. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have, once something has been marked unhealthy, how many successful health checks does it need to pass before it gets put back into rotation? Right. The delay for starting that initial health check, that's not on the ELB, that's usually on like some other service. So like ECS has this, right? So ECS will spin up a task and you can specify that ECS will have a delay before it actually tries to, before it registers it as part of okay. the, the target group, right? Oh, that's so. a little complicated. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just configure this all in one place? But it's like ECS is the one telling the load balancer, now I'm ready for you, as opposed to the load balancer saying, oh, I see you there. I'm going to give you time to be ready. And like I can configure all my health checky stuff in one place. But it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, ECS is where, where it's aware of the fact that it takes time to start up and the load balancer has no idea. The load yep. balancer is like, just let me route traffic somewhere yeah and the, and the load balancer is very generic right there's tons of things that you could be putting into this mm-hmm. right so okay so uh should we move on into implementation styles i jumped the gun on that one before yeah i mean that actually kind of gets into um you know just implementations like where are you using these health checks and so the most common without a doubt as far as like services go and containers go is you're you're doing health checks at the elb level this is just built into the load balancer it's just part of it right so load balancers are 
just keeping a, a membership set of all the different hosts, computer, you know, targets, whatever, whatever it is that it's managing as a set. Like this is the set, my cluster of of nodes that are in here that can answer requests. So it has that membership set. So those those health checks are built right into load balancer. So you can so the load balancer knows like, hey, for every single one of the nodes in here that's in the membership set, go and periodically hit its health check. And if it fails, take it out of the membership set. Market is unhealthy. Continue hitting it, and if I get it back um, so where it's now healthy again, then I'll I'll put it back into the to the membership set. So all that's done, you know, at the ELB, you kind of get it for free. You don't have to do anything other than configure that health check, have a deep, have an appropriate health check implemented by your service, and away you go. So this is this is just just so simple. It's the common routine, if you will. And so any microservices that have inbound traffic that are that are fronted by an ELB, this is a great pattern for. It gets more complicated when you have services that aren't fronted by an ELB, because now you have to ask yourself, well, what's going to do the health check? So, you know, common examples of this is if you have like background jobs or, or demons, basically, I, you can kind of think of it as push versus pull. So the ELB fronted services, their requests are being pushed to them and they're coming into the front versus these demon services are typically pulling, right? They're the ones that are going out and pulling, looking for work to do periodically type thing. So not they don't have the inbound request requests coming into them. Instead, they're doing work and they actually are, are kind of like a client. They're, they're basically a client, right? And they might be, they're probably hitting something else that's fronted by an ELB. So for those, you're going to probably need, you're going to need a custom implementation to do those health checks. So it gets a bit more, again, a bit more complicated, but also it's very important to do. And there's tons of different ways that you can you can do this. Yeah, I don't think I've ever worked for a software company that had some daemon processes running where it didn't go down and nobody knew about it. Like that always happens when you have a startup company and you're building systems and you're going fast and you build a daemon and you're like, wait, how come we haven't, <laughs> this refers to a previous episode, how come we haven't seen any PDFs generated in a while? Ah, the daemon process isn't running. Yeah, and, <laughs> and typically in those cases, you notice like when the minutes, notices. hours, yes. days later, right? Yes. And you're like, uh-oh, like this thing was down the whole weekend. <laughs> We never right. knew, right? Like right. that's a big bad. So, so health checks for these kind of things are super, super important. But again, you get it's 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 more complicated. You got to figure out how you do it, how you implement it. Yeah, um, it's definitely you you definitely only find out about it on Sunday mornings or Saturday afternoons. Not not like Monday morning at nine. Mm-hmm. Show up and oh, I can fix it. That's my job. Right. It's never that convenient. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so again, various different plans of attack there. You know, you can have something just really simple and and kind of maybe even a little bit silly, but like go ahead and put an ELB in front of those demon jobs and just have them have one inbound route and it's your status check, right? So have them have a have a private facing ELB that basically it's it's has one job and one job only and that is to to check to see whether these things are, are that's great because then it's really is that really easy then to just configure to a, some sort of a alert or CloudWatch alert so that you can no, you can be notified when the thing's not available. Well, in this particular case, you don't have to do anything, right? Because the ELB, oh, it'll start it the, over. It, it's just, yeah, yeah. So, so you yeah. have your simple health check. So it's it's kind of weird because it's like you're only putting an ELB in front of it for the health check, but. I mean, kind of like thinking about it, it's like, well, I don't know, why not? I mean, it's minimal amount of code, mm. and you can kind of leverage what you're what you're used to. And the only 
Just you know, to make actually, sure I understand this, it's because the ELB will signal to ECS, who's supposed to keep the service running, at least one instance of the service running, that ELB is what tells ECS, this thing is down, it's restart it. Is that why you would put an ELB in front of it? The the reason why you put the ELB in front of it is because you need something to do the health check. Okay. And so, so what would happen, it, right? It, and, and this is actually how, like, just a normal service run on an ECS, like a microservice, right? It's not... ECS detects that it's down. It's the load balancer doing the health check that mm-hmm. figures that it's down. It marks it as unhealthy. Mm-hmm. ECS subscribes that event. It sees that. Got it. And then it kills the task and spins up a new one. Got right? It. And Got when it. that comes back up, then it in- inserts it into the membership set. The ELB then takes over, performs its health checks. If it passes, it goes back into the membership okay. set. So it's this dance back and forth between them. Mm-hmm. And so you can do the same thing with your with these background, these these daemon jobs. The Really the only extra work that you have to do is you have to update that daemon to accept some HTTP traffic, right? So it's like you have to have a little micro HTTP service, right? Got that's it. listening yep. and, and can, can satisfy requests on that are coming in via HTTP or HTTPS, whatever it may be. That is really, I love that hack. It's, it's like small and it just takes advantage of all this heavy lifting that AWS already knows how to do. Yeah. It, like I said, it feels kind of like cheating to me. Um, <laughs> it doesn't feel right. But again, simple, fast. You know, you can do um, other things that are perhaps a bit more sophisticated. And so you can, there's a bunch of different techniques you can use here, but basically you just have to have something that is running at regular intervals that can go and reach out and talk to these things and figure out whether or not they're running. So whether it's like a a cloud watch, a cloud watch alarm that's triggering a Lambda to go figure out Mm -hmm. if something's running or not. And then you can, you know, deal with, with, with removing these things or failing them and marking and letting ECS then kill it and restart it. Definitely. I mean, that's a more sophisticated approach and there's some, some pros to that, but again, a lot more heavy lifting. Right, right. Great. I think I, we're on our last bullet point here of the day. Synthetics. What's this? Yeah. So the, the last thing I want to talk about was just this concept of, of synthetics. So health checks are verifying that your service is up and running. It can respond to requests, but it doesn't necessarily mean that things are going swimmingly well, right? And that what users are seeing is actually correct, right? So like a really great example of this would be like you have a a website and there's, you know, maybe there's like a, a login page and it has to go and talk to, you know, a database or maybe some other dependent microservice and something goes wrong or there's a bug in the code where like it's just not rendering the login box right the the, the username password the, the the login screen it's just, instead it's it's just broken it's a broken web page right well your health checks aren't going to catch this because mm-hmm. it went and hit you know the the port 80 or port 443 it passed the health check but really your, your site doesn't work so synthetics are something that they're basically health checks from the the caller standpoint from the end user standpoint so like in that particular example, you would have a synthetic that's basically going out and it's not just testing whether it gets back a 200, it's actually examining the response and verifying that response is correct. So you can really think of this as like a like a test case. Like um, a production it, integration test. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, like we, we had a great talk today with the team about doing UI testing for mobile apps and how do you actually create those and run those. And and that's kind of like, you know, what you could use a synthetic for, which would be, you know, a useful thing. So 
it would go and 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 fetch the HTML, and then it would go and, and just load that into to a DOM and, and check the that the elements that it are expecting are actually there, and you know they have the right text um, labels on them or whatnot. So again, there it's another one of these things that is really useful to have. You're verifying not only is your service up, but also like what the end user is expecting is indeed correct. You know, the thing that makes me think of is is like as we were talking about health checks and shallow and deep, I was thinking, you know, at some level, we also want our code to just react when things aren't going well. We want our code to catch errors and start to behave in a, in a way that is appropriate for the types of errors that it's seeing. So if things aren't going the way they should from a database or another service that we depend on, the code should start to be able to shut things down a little bit. But that's really difficult. And it's a lot of times when you write systems, you don't have the time to make your code go that deep. So this is sort of a way of saying, well, the code, the code may, you know, return some bad stuff and there may, you might get the, the whole system might get into some bad states. But if we can write these synthetics to go in and test that the, the, the world is looking right from a user point of view, then we can at least have a, a fighting chance of finding out if things in the world are not the way they are supposed to be before users do or, or very, very early on in that process. And even if not all of our error handling and thinking about every single microservice and what it's supposed to do in a case of an error is like totally vetted and baked and perfect because it never is. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and you can kind of think of like synthetics are your way of a combination of having shallow health checks plus synthetics kind of gives you the advantage of those deep health checks, right? right? So, because that's, that's really what they're doing. I mean, if, if your end user, if it's not responding the way that they expect or your, or your caller, it's an API. If it's if it's not getting the kind of response that it's expecting, and it's probably I mean there's bugs in the code, or it could be that one of the, the upstream dependencies is down. So your synthetic will catch that, and so it kind of gives you the best of the both worlds there. So don't use the the deep health checks for your standard health check that's hitting it more rapid at a more frequent pace, but instead use the synthetics and, and you can judge, you know, what you want to use for an interval there as well. But it's something that's can be very useful to, to have in concert with the, with the shallow health checks. Very cool. Well, this has been fascinating for me. I haven't done a lot of work in this area recently, so I learned a lot. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Go check your status. <laughs> right on. All right. All right. Talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, John. See ya. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash 53. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.